for all things land development, planning and property. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. So what do we have coming up on today's episode? Well, as usual, several of you have been emailing in your questions to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. And of course, this episode is no exception. We have questions about a section 102 today and where a lady might be able to find it. We have a question about SIL for a sui generis property. We'll also be talking about bankers. I'll continue my A to Z of property and I'll be having a rant as usual. So without further ado, let's get started. But before we do, please do like review and subscribe to this podcast via your podcast app of your choice and come with me on this property journey. It won't have escaped your attention that at the weekend we had Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Did you pick up any bargains? Why not tweet me at Property on Phone and let me know? Of course, if you're active in property, you've probably had several emails from various training companies letting you know about their best ever deal and how this is the only time they will ever offer this, etc. If you did buy a course, please, please make sure you actually do it. I suspect there are many, and this is what the training companies rely upon, there are many that will purchase and then forget about it. So why not diarise the course and then perhaps next week or the week after or even in January, you might wish to undertake that course and increase your education and your knowledge. Personally, I'm currently doing an online course to become a commercial drone pilot so that I can fly a drone closer to our development sites within leading homes. As you may be aware, you can't use a drone for any commercially related tasks unless the pilot is suitably qualified. These tasks might be as simple as looking at the roof of a house in your portfolio. And now on to our first question this week. The first question comes from Mandy Garcia, who has emailed me at ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. And she says she is currently selling her house on an estate and the buyer solicitor is asking for the section 102 information. She's saying, help, where can I find it? I've left messages for 7 Trent Water and also for the developer but nobody seems to know where I can find this important piece of paper. And it's holding up the purchase of my house, and I don't know where to turn to. Thank you, Mandy, for your question this week. First of all, let me explain what a Section 102 is. Section 102 of the Water Industry Act 1991 allows a developer, or perhaps an individual, to submit an application to the water company asking them to adopt a private operational sewer which has already been installed. However, and this is the important bit here, is that more often you will have a section 104 instead. So a section 104 of the Water Industry Act 1991 is a mechanism for developers to request that the local water company will adopt any new sewers or indeed pumping stations that the developer may construct along with the houses. So Mandy, if you have a section 104, then you are fine. You do not require a section 102. A section 102 would normally be issued or requested when the sewers come into use 
before the Section 104 process has been completed. If that happens, then the developer will use Section 102 to request that the local water company will adopt the already operational sewers. So if you've got the 104, relax, just pass that to the solicitor and tell them the fact that the 102 is not applicable in your case and they, they can just ignore that part of the form. I hope that was of help, Mandy. But if you've got any other issues regarding that, please feel free to come back to me at any time. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. And now, Ian's rant. My rant this week relates to banks, and in particular, business banks. Those that we may find on the high street, where, of course, they have not been shut down. And my frustration is why, as far as I know, all of them are refusing to open up new business accounts. It doesn't matter whether you've got an account with the bank or not. They have just closed their doors to any new business. I know it's been a tough year for everybody, but if banks are honestly here to support new businesses and new ventures, then surely we need to have these bank accounts being able to be opened. It's crazy. Most of the opening procedure is done via computer anyway, so there is very little reason why these banks are refusing to have new customers. It's probably relating to the bounce-back loans and the fact that they don't wish to have more people applying for these bounce-back loans which in a way is stifling exactly what the government is hoping to support small businesses on. So I have to ask why? Why are these banks closing their doors to new business? I reckon we'll see in early 2021, these banks starting to moan because they haven't got the support from the government. Well, let's see some support from the banks first for businesses up and down this country of ours. It's crazy. If you know of a good reason why banks are refusing to open up accounts on the high street, then why not tweet me at Property on Fire or send me an email at ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. You can, of course, use the same contact details if you've got a rant that you want to get off your chest. Is there something that is bugging you? Why not let me know? And I'll be more than happy to read it out and take the opinion of those who are listening to this podcast. Right, so I've had my little rant about banks. But what are the options? What can we actually do within the property industry? And where can we actually go for business banking? And do we actually need a business bank after all? So in the UK, we have various high street banks such as Barclays, Clydesdales, HSBC, Lloyds, NatWest, RBS, Santander, Metro, who are mostly on the high street, although Metro are a little bit more on, online. But most of these banks, as I said earlier, have closed their doors to new customers. But even if you do have a business bank account with any of these, you're probably paying a, a monthly fee of perhaps five to ten pounds per month irrespective of whether you've got any transactions actually going through your bank account. So what can we do? Well, the answer is almost as simple as picking up your smartphone and downloading an app from the Apple Store or Google Play Store because we've we've got several challenger or fintech banks such as Anna, Starling, Coconut, Monice, Monzo, Revolu and Tide. 
And I will admit, before I did some research for this episode, I, I hadn't heard of all of these. And there's also some more called Cash Plus Business, Acorn, and Card One Money. And I'm sure there's a few that I have missed here as well. Now, importantly, of these, only Monzo and Starling are currently UK regulated. And therefore, you are protected under FSCS rules for up to £85,000. Others, such as Coconut and a few more, say that they store your money in a regulated ring-fenced account and that it is never invested or lent out. That may not be an issue for you, and so let's have a look at some options to see whether these banks are the correct thing for you. But before we look at each one in turn, do, do you really need a business bank account? Well, if you've got a limited company, then yes, I would highly recommend it. You really should not be using a personal account for these business expenses. However, if you're a sole trader, freelancer, etc., then maybe not. But to be honest, I'd still recommend one as it does keep your business separate from your personal life. These banks are all aimed at the small and medium size enterprises or SMEs. In the UK, we have over 6 million companies that employ 20 million people within the SME environment and a combined turnover of two trillion pounds. And that is 12 zeros in case you're wondering. So you can see there's a big market for these banks which you can run from your smartphone or in some cases from your desktop. The first business account that I'll have a look at is the Anna business account. Their monthly fees are based upon your monthly income through your business. And it ranges from free if you're earning under 500 pounds a month to just under £20 a month if you're only between twenty pounds and £50,000 a month. However, with Anna, you might be more controlled on the maximum sum that you can have in the account, which goes through the four price tiers as a maximum of £5,000, £25,000, £120,000 and £700,000 for the highest account at £20 a month. Now, if you're having large sums from property going in and out, this might not be the best option for you, but for smaller turnovers, it could well work for you. You can also link to services such as Xero for your bookkeeping. As standard with Anna, you do have invoices and you also earn a 1% cashback on all debit card use. The link to Anna can be found in today's show notes. I often see the next bank as a bank which is often recommended and for good reason and they are Starling. So they actually do a business account as well as personal accounts. Previously with Starling, there was a limit as to how much you could actually withdraw in any one transaction. But thankfully now they have raised their maximum payout amount. So this is great for most property businesses. You can now pay out in one go up to 250,000 via the faster payments online or via the app or if you phone up, you can do up to half a million for the faster payments. You can also do a CHAPS payment over the phone, but this will cost you £20. However, and it is still a very important however, there is a much lower limit on accounts where they can't actually verify the payee via the banking system. This is there to protect you, as you may have noticed that every time you enter a new payee now into most banks, they will do a quick search to see if they can verify as to whether or not 
the account is actually owned by the company or person that you have entered into the app. If this is the case, then you'll probably will need to actually give the bank a quick call to ensure that your payment can actually go through. But as it's there for fraud protection, then I don't think it's a particularly major issue and you'll only need to do it once for each new payee, if at all. The Starling business account is actually free, although there is a £7 a month option for what they're calling their business toolkit. And this has stuff like invoices, uh, VAT, etc. within it. So that might be of use to many people. Or you could just link to QuickBooks or Xero if you prefer that method. Personally, you may actually find that running it via the bank for £7 a month is actually a big saving on external services such as QuickBooks or Xero. Starling will also allow you to run multiple accounts, whether they be personal, sole trader or limited accounts. But you can only have one business account per limited company. But you can switch accounts within the app very easily. They also offer US dollar accounts at £5 per month and Euro accounts at £2 a month for businesses. But you will pay 0.4% to convert from the British pound to US dollars or euros so it's not too prohibitive even if you don't have a us account or a euro account you can still transfer up to 20 different currencies for the same 0.4% fee i mentioned earlier about bounce back loans well the good news is starling is the only challenger bank as far as i know that can actually supply bounce back loans although it is only one per person because of the way their system is set up even if they're different businesses. And unfortunately, you can't take advantage of the new top-up bounce-back loans that were recently announced by the Chancellor. But apart from that, Starling looks an all-round good option, and you'll find a link to Starling in today's show notes. One bank that I hadn't heard of before I did this research was Coconut Bank. They offer a free account. However, for the small monthly fee of either £3 a month or £10 a month, you can add on extras such as invoicing, attaching receipts to your banking, connecting other accounts, etc. For just £3 a month, this might be an option for you if you only send one or two invoices a month. If you're a sole trader, Coconut has a daily payment limit of £50,000, although if you are a limited company, that is raised to half a million pounds. However, they do have a maximum that you can actually keep in your account at any time. And that is the same £50,000 if you're a sole trader or half a million as a limited company. So if you're doing transactions that are bigger than this or perhaps selling property, this may actually be an issue for you. But if you're under these limits and you're just doing a few transactions a month, then perhaps the £3 a month option might be ideal for you. You can find the link to Coconut Bank within today's show notes. You may be familiar with the next bank, and that is Manise, because they have a prepaid debit card. However, for their business account, they do charge £9.95 a month. And to be honest, I actually do not think it's a very good option for people, and especially for those within the property industry. So I'm going to swiftly move on to the next bank, which is Monzo. Again, Monzo has a prepaid card like several of the other banks. 
and they also have a free option. But like a lot of the others, they also have a pro version, which is £5 a month to include invoicing, etc. Monzo does have a daily limit of £50,000 on faster payments. So this may cause you a big issue if you've got chunky payments for property, etc. or for deposits. But if you have a personal account with Monzo, then it might be an option for you to have a look at. Another bank with a prepaid card is Revolut. This prepaid card is used by a lot of people who enjoy travelling as they make it very easy to use the card abroad and avoid the quite typical 3% or so foreign exchange fees whenever using English money abroad. This follows on onto their business accounts and they have three plans. One is free, which is probably suitable for many, but there is also a £25 a month and a £100 a month option. To be honest, unless you are dealing in very, very large amounts of foreign transactions, then the Revolut free account is just fine for most people, especially if you do do the occasional transaction abroad during the month. The final account, which I'll have a look at, is Tide. Tide might be a good alternative to the Starling account that I spoke about earlier. They have a free account which includes items such as invoicing and linking to QuickBooks, Xero, Sage and more. And they allow you to have five different business accounts with them as well. But they do charge for transfers of money both in and out at 20 pence a time. And this may soon start adding up, especially if you've got a lot of transactions every month. So they offer a 9.99 package, which actually gives 20 transactions a month. Plus it adds a legal helpline as well. Tide also does, for the bigger firms, a £50 a month plan, which adds things like a dedicated account manager, half a percent cashback on the card, and up to 150 free transactions every month. However, unlike some of the other banks, Tide does not seem to offer a personal account, so that may be a consideration for you in choosing your bank. My personal recommendation, as I probably mentioned earlier, is actually Starling. I actually have a business account with them, and it works just fine. And now that they've actually raised the transaction limit that you can do in any one go, I firmly recommend this to anybody looking for a business account within property. And no, I'm not paid by Starling for doing this podcast, but it is a question that often comes up in many groups and forums on a very, very regular basis. So I thought I would take this opportunity to try and share some options for various people. Before we go on to the second of today's questions, a quick update on a couple of our development sites for leading homes. On our 22 flat development down in South Devon, we are probably about a week away now from building control sign-off, so that is good. However, we do have an issue on the outside. We're currently trying to render the outside of the building This is a process that has been delayed for various reasons from the summer and the autumn time. And if you know anything about render, you first of all need dry weather. They they do need a couple of days for it to be applied and then allow it to cure. The other problem is the fact that this temperature 
must be above five degrees. And as you'll probably all know, in the UK, we quite often will have dry spells, but quite often in the winter period, those often come with temperatures of just above freezing, which is too cold for the render to actually cure. If anybody does know of a good solution, then please do let us know. The forecast for this coming week is a little bit better, so we're hoping that some of the render may, may well be able to take place. On our 14 bungalow development in North Devon, this isn't going quite as smoothly as we had hoped. And I did promise you when I started this podcast that it will be warts and all. We were due to complete on this fairly soon, but sadly our investor, who was putting in a seven-figure sum, has caught COVID-19 and his health is not too good at the moment. Needless to say, we wish him the best of health, but as he's not in a fit state to actually deal with the legal side of things at the moment, it does mean that we're having to find another investor that can help us. If you are interested in this opportunity, then do feel free to email investor at leadinghomes.co.uk and then subject to the FCA regulations, we'll be more than pleased to send you our investor pack. We are speaking to a number of investors who have both smaller and larger amounts to invest and I'm hoping that over the next week or so we can actually solve this problem but we're always looking for new investors who may want to work with our company. On to our second question for this week, and it relates to SIL for a sui generis property. And the question comes from William, who's kindly emailed ian at propertyonfire.co.uk and asks, as I'm building an extension onto a sui generis building, Will I need to pay SIL? If anybody listening does not know what SIL is, then it stands for Community Infrastructure Levy. This is a fee that is actually charged by many local authorities throughout the country. And unlike Section 106, it is not negotiable. But the good news is, if you're north of the border in Scotland or over in Northern Ireland or in a large chunk of Wales, then you do not need to worry about SIL at all. So when is SIL normally charged? Well, if it's a building into which people normally go and it involves a new build of at least 100 square metres of gross internal area floor space or it involves a new build of less than 100 square metres of floor space but the creation of one or more dwellings, then the likely chances is if your local authority has SIL, then you will need to pay it. And this bill can be quite large, so please never underestimate the cost of SIL. In some local authorities, this can be four, five, six, even almost up to £1,000 per square metre. So if you haven't budgeted for SIL, then it might come as a nasty surprise and might not actually mean that your figures now stack. So tread carefully. So back to William's question. Unfortunately, I do not know what the sui generis building is. But if it's a building in which people will normally go, and it's over 100 square metres of extension, then yes, I'm afraid you will need to pay for and allow for SIL. There are, however, a few reasons why SIL might not be payable 
on a new development. First of all, there is no sill on affordable homes. So if you've got a section 106 requiring affordable homes, for example, then there will be no sill on these properties. If you're doing a self-built house, and as long as the builder who built it resides in that house for at least three years, then it is also exempt from sill. And if you're extending your own main residence, then even if the extension is over 100 square metres, you will also not be liable for sill. And despite there being sill in many areas, quite a few actually have a zero pounds per square meter rate so do check as to what the rate may be for your particular development if you've got any questions on sill or indeed anything else that's property related why not drop me an email to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk or you can tweet me at property on fire this is property on fire with ian walmsley and now ian's a to z of property For those of you who have not listened to one of the previous episodes, Ian's A to Z of property is where I'm going to go through the alphabet from A to Z and going through various terms and acronyms, some of which you will have heard of, but several you may not have heard of. So as per Sesame Street, I guess today's episode is brought to you by the letter A. If you've ever driven down the road, and seen people sitting in deck chairs with a clicker, the chances are they are carrying out what is called an Annual Average Daily Traffic Survey, or an AADT. An AADT is a total volume of traffic on a highway or a road divided by 365 days. This might be used for developers, perhaps they wish to prove that a main road isn't quite as busy as a local authority would claim, or it might be used for identifying the best location for your business based on traffic patterns throughout the year. Or perhaps a local authority would like to know how many vehicles go over that particular stretch of road in any one day. Although the AADT works out how many vehicles go along a particular road on every single day of the year, you do get some alternatives. The AAWT, for example, is the annual average weekday traffic, which, as it says on the tin, is the average traffic along the road during the weekdays and not including any weekends or bank holidays. Or you might have the ASDT, which is the average summer daily traffic. This is very similar to the annual average daily traffic report. However, As again it says on the tin, it's only done during the summer months. This is more useful in areas where it have a high seasonal traffic flow on local roads. Thanks once again for listening to this episode of Property on Fire. I did a quick count up the other day as to all the platforms that we are now on. And this podcast can be heard on no less than 34 different platforms around the world so wherever you are in this world thank you for listening to property on fire and a big thank you to mandy and to william for your questions today and mandy i hope the house move and the sale goes through smoothly now maybe your question will be featured on next week's episode of property on fire and if i can help you in your property journey then do 
get in touch. Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.